Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, now proudly serving our coffee and conversation in over 80 countries throughout the world. Um, we'd like to thank all of you caffeinators for your continued support of our podcast here, um, for liking and subscribing to all of our channels and social media and our YouTube channel to our Patreons for your continued support um, and just continuing to download our episodes and and show us the support you guys have for the now almost four years coming up um, very soon. So thank you very much for your support. If this is your first time here, if you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, feel free to head over to vettechcafe.com to get all the info about Dave and I and why we do this podcast and previous episodes and all of our merchandise, um, all of that. Um, As I mentioned briefly a moment ago, we're on all the major channels. You can find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel that we upload the video from our tap room series on. So definitely check us out. Um, Dave, how's it going out there? What's on your mind? Uh, just sweltering heat here in North Carolina. Um, I've, I, as, as I've said before, I'm, I'm doing a lot of exercise, but I, I have, I've converted that to the gym. Uh, I tried yesterday to run outside and you, you know, that, that scene in, in Anchorman where Will Ferrell's like milk was a bad choice. <laughs> Running outside yesterday was a bad choice. Uh, I, I made it about two miles in and then I was like, what am I doing that's, out here? That's still pretty um, good. Two miles. I mean, in the heat. Humidity. Well, it was two miles downhill well, and then ooh. the two miles back was uphill and I, I had to walk that. I had to walk two miles uphill and I was like, this is a dumb idea. What, do you what? ever feel like if you're out like for a run and you're walking, like people driving by are looking at you, like, look at this guy out here walking. Like what, what is wrong? I, like, I think of that, but I, it's, it's, it's around Duke campus. So there's a lot oh, okay, of people that are okay. walking, uh, walking their dogs okay, and stuff okay. like that. So I don't feel that stupid. I feel more stupid when it's really cold. Like what is this yeah. guy doing out in like, 20 degree yeah. weather, but yesterday was like, I was just yeah. a dummy. I was like, I should not, I should not be doing that. And then I had aspirations today to run outside and I got outside and it was like 85 ish. I was like, well, that's not 90, but then I was like, mm, it's it's 85 be. when I started yesterday. <laughs> so I did the gym again today. So I, I'm, I'm trying to be smarter for the rest of the summer. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm stubborn and, and dumb sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, it is yeah. what it is, but uh, I've got more travel coming up. I got more recovery trainings to do, more consultations to Very do cool. this summer before uh, before we get to IVEX. So I I thought I was all done with traveling before IVEX, but apparently that is not the case anymore. Um, but it's okay. I like money. I like I <laughs> like, like doing, doing that stuff. stuff yeah. So yeah, um, but but things are good here. Other than the fact that it's it's stupid mm-hmm. hot. 
How are things going out uh, there? Well, it's it's been pretty hot here too. Yesterday was actually kind of bizarre uh, for Southern California in that um, we had like menacing clouds and storms. I mean, it. I'm going to say it rained here. It rained for us in July, which I mean, you can count the drops on one hand, but. We typically don't get rain from April till like November. Yeah. So any drops we get this time of year is, is bizarre. And I loved it. It was uh, very humid. Um, but yeah, uh, today it's back to, you know, nineties and blue sky and whatever. So mm. otherwise um, all things are good out here. Um, starting to gear up for Ibex and um, all that yeah. stuff. Um, working on putting together a series for VSPN, um, another toxicity series that I think is going to be out in the nice. spring. Um, and yeah, just doing all the normal things. So I finished my, my four VSPN talks and they're, they're already contacting me. Do you want to do this again <laughs> next year? I was like, sure. I'll yeah. do it again next it's, year. <laughs> it's such a great platform. And I love it. The yeah. people that um, like join those sessions and like are the, I guess I'm going to say attendees. I feel like there should be a better word because it's, yeah, it's actually a class, like, you know, multi-week class. But I call them students. St yeah, there you go. Um, the yeah. discussion boards are always such great conversation yeah. um, and great questions. Um, I, I, I really do enjoy doing the, the sessions for them and they're such a great organization to work with. Yeah. So yeah. really, really glad we have that platform in our profession. So, well, uh, I say let's go ahead and uh, jump right on in here. Yeah, um, let's get into so it. So we've got another great episode coming for you today. We have Kelly Foltz coming by the Vet Tech Cafe. Um, she's a 1999 graduate of Mercer University with a bachelor's degree in English and a 2006 grad of Athens Technical College with an associate applied technology degree in veterinary technology. She joined Avectin, the Academy of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Technicians and Nurses in 2012, a year before Dave and I, um, and recently started in 2017 and 2022. Uh, from 2012 to 2020, she was employed at Auburn University's College of Veterinary Medicine as an inpatient urgent care technician and supervisor. And then in August of 2020, relocated to Gainesville, Florida to work um, as I ICU shift lead at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. And then in 2022, most recently, she joined Blue Pearl as their Mid-Atlantic Regional Nursing Partner, where she serves as a nurse administrator for hospitals in Maryland, Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, the Carolinas, and Georgia. Um, in addition to the clinical work, she's a lecturer, author, educator, and served on the AVMA Committee on Veterinary Technician Education and Activities from 2017 to 2023. We're going to talk about that, as well as uh, serving as vice chair in 2021 to 2022 and as chair in 2022-2023. Um, she also represented technicians on the AVMA Task Force on Veterinary Technician Utilization in 2019. We're going to talk a lot about that today, too, um, and the Working Group on Veterinary Technician Utilization in 2021, 2020, and 2021. Um, she maintains active credentials in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina. And in an alternate universe, she's a flower farmer, a pickle entrepreneur, and a full-time beekeeper. So, Kelly, oh. uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe <laughs> yeah. today. Um, I know it's hot there, but can we get you a cup of coffee or other cool beverage of choice? I am a tea drinker. I'm not a coffee drinker. Ah, so right. I will take an iced chai latte or some matcha. On ice. Mm, okay. All right. I love it. I love it. Um, well, if you don't mind, I know I mentioned a few things there, but take us through your career path, kind of what got you into veterinary medicine, some of the high points and stops along the way, and then a little bit about what you're doing now. 
First of all, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here and to see both of you. I, I think like most of us in veterinary medicine, my path is uh, crooked and checkered. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned my bachelor's degree in English. Uh, the plan all along was for me to be uh, a college professor of literature. So I was going to go to undergrad. I was going to go um, get an MFA in creative writing. Uh, plus or minus PhD. And then I was going to be Dr. Foltz, you know, PhD and have a small sunny office uh, full of plants and books and talk <laughs> about words Please. and ideas and literature and poetry uh, for the rest of my life. And what had happened was uh, I graduated from <laughs> undergrad. Uh, I moved from Macon, Georgia, where I went to college to Atlanta. I was in a relationship with a boy I was kind of taking a gap year or two. I was working in bookstores and I was obsessed with the TV show Emergency Vets. Oh, okay. Uh, I used to record marathons. They used to have holiday marathons uh, and I would record it on the VCR so I could watch it later. And I was working in bookstores and I was kind of bored. And this is how old I am. I actually answered an ad in the paper for a receptionist at a 24 uh, seven ER and specialty center in Marietta. Uh, I think it is now corporate owned, but it used to be called Cobb Emergency Veterinary Clinic. And they also had opto internal medicine and surgery and I think derm. And so I was working in bookstores and working as a CSR in the ER from like 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. And I did that for a couple of years and then decided to get my life back on track. So moved to Milledgeville, Georgia to go to grad school. I got into an MFA program, creative writing, did a year of it and decided that I really hated uh, <laughs> workshopping. Like I was fine writing my own poems, but I really had a hard time sitting and having other people, you know, tell me like where to put the punctuation and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, once I had gotten that taste of a vocation that would really like save lives and change outcomes, talking about words and literature and ideas didn't necessarily fill my cup anymore. So hmm. Even though I had more than half of my MFA, I actually called my parents up. <laughs> I was like, hey, I want to go back to school and get an associate's degree. And they're like, dear God, please let this be the last <laughs> degree. And I was like, I swear it'll be the last degree. And so then I moved to Athens and uh, had just the best time of my life for two years at Athens Tech. Graduated. I think I'm a little bit of an anomaly, perhaps, in ECC in that. I knew I wanted to go back into specialty medicine as soon as I got out of school. I think a lot of people come to ECC from general practice, getting restless and starting to wonder if there's more. And I just was like, you know, a bullet out of a gun. Like, okay, we're going to, we're going to get our degree. We're going to get credentialed. We're going to go back uh, into ECC. And I knew I wanted to specialize at that point as well. So I worked for about a year in you know, a shareholder owned uh, ER. And then I actually worked at UGA for about 11 months. So when it comes to vet schools, I, I am kind of a serial monogamist. <laughs> Hit uh, three of the big ones, at least kind of in the Southeast. Um, so yeah, I, I worked at UGA for about 11 months. That was my first experience with academic emergency and critical care. And let me tell you, it was quite the crucible. Uh, we can talk about that if you would like. So 
then I uh, was in a relationship, a different relationship from the Atlanta one, uh, moved back to my home state of Florida. I'm originally from Bay County, Florida, so Panama City Beach, if anybody's familiar with that town. I moved to Pensacola, worked at an independently owned kind of secondary referral hospital. They had an ER. Uh, it was owned by a DACVEC. They had a surgeon and then optho that would visit kind of once or twice a month. And I was there for four years. And that's where I actually accrued the cases and most of the work hours for my BTS. So I um, left that practice in 2012 to start working at Auburn. I was still living in Pensacola, so I would commute. Um, I had a little apartment and, you know, I was still in the relationship. So I would drive up on Thursday. I would work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then I would drive home on Monday. And I was teaching part-time at the local technician program at Pensacola State College. And then that relationship went bust in 2014. And so I moved to Auburn full-time and was at Auburn until 2020. Wanted a change, went to UF, and then kind of wanted another change and was very lucky in the sense that I had some friends and mentors that really encouraged me to apply for the position with Blue Pearl, which initially I was quite resistant. I did not want to leave clinical practice and I was a little uneasy about corporate, but um, it has all worked out very well and I'm really happy. So that's the condensed version of all of the crooked, you know, dead ends and three-point turns. <laughs> Somewhere in there, I got my BTS <laughs> and recertified it and started lecturing and all that kind of stuff. But Yeah. I, I, I would, that was one of my questions is what were you planning to do with your, with your English degree? Cause that's quite different from what, what we do in this field. Um, and, and just, Looking at the field itself, I, I know you've got a, a, a long and, and twisting career path. Where do you see the profession right now? What do we need to do to fix it? What's going right right now? And how do we make it better? Well, I think the first thing I would want to say is that our profession is so aspirational, right? We want to chart our own path. Uh, we want to be involved. We really want to improve patient care and medical quality. And I think as a group, as a profession, we are so, so invigorated by advancing our own profession. Yet at the same time, it can be very exhausting because we are tasked with a lot of, you know, explaining <laughs> who we are and what we do and how you get on this path. And, um, you know, I think we're always up against that that PR piece, right, where kind of everyone understands to some degree, lay people understand mm -hmm. to some degree what a veterinarian does or what a human nurse does or what a physician does. But I can remember still to this day, right? You tell people that you're a veterinary technician and it's kind of like, Oh, that's nice. What does that mean? Like, when are you going to vet school? <laughs> uh, yeah, which yeah. is just exhausting, right? It's, it's, there's this emotional labor piece. I think that, that you don't hear people talk about a lot. I think what's going right right now in the profession is that now more than ever, the conversations are occurring, right? We're seeing discussions, you know, I just got back from the AVMA conference, you know, there are discussions about um, what I prefer to call collaboration versus utilization. And we might get around to that today, but, you know, leveraging technicians, engaging them. Certainly there's a lot of discussion about mid-level practitioner right now. And I have my own feelings about that as I feel most of us do. So that is something that's going great. 
I think another thing that's going great for us right now is we literally have, I think, over 215, 216 accredited veterinary technology programs, including, I think, nine or 10 that are distance programs. So it really is easier than ever to get involved in the profession and and get your degree. I'm very much encouraged by the number of states that are adding title protection. Mm-hmm. You know, I think North mm-hmm. Carolina just did. Um, yeah. You know, I'm really excited. Like a couple yeah, weeks ago. Utah yeah. is, yeah. you know, credentialing people now. One day we'll get Florida on board. I, I swear to God, they're <laughs> the last ones. But um, so I think there's a lot that is really going well, including the fact that, you know, the medicine we practice is very high caliber you kind of alluded to it, switching from the liberal arts to what's basically a STEM profession is a big change. And I did have quite a bit of imposter syndrome about the math and about the chemistry. And that's worked out okay for me. But I I think we always need to keep that in mind when, you know, people are, are coming into this profession is that it's, it's a STEM profession. Obviously the things we can do better. I don't think it, what I have to say is going to be very much different (laughs) than other people that you've had on the podcast, right? We need, you know, uniform title protection. We need uniform educational standards in the sense that, you know, there's only really one way to become a veterinarian or a nurse or a physician. And there are still five or six different ways to become technicians in this country, right? Like if you're in Florida, there's two different credentialing bodies. It's very confusing as as someone working in that state, kind of trying to figure out where to send your funds to get certified, which one is, is better for you. Uh, you know, I'm always concerned that people are not able to have professional mobility, right? Because they might be credentialed in a state and then move to a state where there's not reciprocity and then they're left out. So I think things like, you know, credential portability and reciprocity, you know, educational standards are really important to me. It is absolutely not about what we're called. Like, I I think for me, that's way down on the bottom of the list. I think always our relationship with the veterinarians can improve in the sense that we see a lot of very hurt feelings, I think, with some of the conversations that have been ongoing. And I, I tend at least to take kind of a middle of the road approach to that. Like it's their profession too. And they're allowed to be concerned about, you know, developments. Um, I think people need to be kind to one another and bring each other to the table, but we're really not going to get anywhere without each other. Right. Like we can't do what we do Mm -hmm. without them and they certainly can't do what they do without us. And so it concerns me a lot um, when people are like, just. Yeah. 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 So I, those are the things that immediately come to mind for me. Um, and, and the collaboration piece is always there. It is always there. Something that's been on my mind a lot lately is just kind of incivility. Like I wish there was a way we could study like clinician incivility and how it affects technicians. Right. Yeah. We were, we talked to, who was, who was it we talked to Jeff that, uh, oh, I think it was Josh Weisman wanted us to talk to the, the jerk researcher. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I think that kind of goes along with that was, is to figure out why are people being jerks? Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. I mean, I'll ask you, even though this is your show, like, have you ever had a clinician be just really nasty to you? Oh yeah, of course. You know, that yeah. who's the doctor here anyway, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like mm-hmm. it goes very deep. And I just always wonder how that fits with just general wear and tear and mental health and attrition for us. Yeah. I agree with that. 
Yeah. And, and basically what, I mean, Jeff, I don't know how you've, you've handled it, but you, usually I'm just like, okay, you're the doctor and, and we'll do, do it the way you want it. Even though in my mind, I'm like, this is wrong, but okay. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to say it's like staying in my, in my lane or staying in my place, but like, how am I going to fight back against that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I think it really depends on, you know, the culture of the clinic and, and what kind of structure there actually is. Like if that's the practice owner and the practice manager, and that's all there is, then, then that's all you have. It's but, a place you, know, you don't want to be. Right. Yeah. If it's, you know, something where there's somebody else there, maybe their faculty you can go to or what, you know, who knows, but, um, but it's it's still and I mean for me some of those experiences I'm going back twenty five thirty years I mean it's it's been a long yeah, yeah. time since I've experienced that level but so Kelly we'll kind of jump off from here so I know in your bio I mentioned the AVMA task force on veterinary technician utilization and and feel free to to def, to define your preference of collaboration versus utilization here but um, we talked a great deal um, about that when some of the findings were released but I'm curious since you worked so hard on it what came out of it in your words uh, and, and also what was that like for you what did that do for you oh gosh so so much to say so many thoughts um, <laughs> first of all it it probably seems very pedantic and I think there's a lot of people in my life that are like oh my god shut up about it but you know if if we look <laughs> at the definition of utilization right the action of making practical and effective use of something okay something yeah and then mm -hmm. if we look at you know collaboration which I you know, kind of love, like the action of working with someone to produce or create something. I think a lot of the time as technicians, we kind of pitch ourselves as, as a piece of diagnostic equipment, right? Like you mm -hmm. need this thing in your practice to make it run efficiently <laughs> yeah. and, and improve the bottom and make line. More, make more yeah, money. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, like, I'm a partner, right? Like I'm a professional too. You guys are partners, you're professionals too. And so collaborate with me you know, for improved medical quality and patient care, but, um, no one likes to be used. Right. Yeah. So I, I, that is, I'm descending my tiny soapbox. Um, <laughs> I was very flattered to be included on both of those entities. It was really revelatory. You know, I had been involved in, um, educational accreditation for technician programs for a kind of a while at that point, like I joined CBTA in what, 2017, um, and so it was revelatory to me to be with kind of a mixed population of technicians from across the industry and veterinarians from across the industry and talking about this and realizing that, okay, how can we agree on, on what it is, right? Is it collaboration? Is it utilization? How can we agree on like who we're talking about? We had a lot of conversations like you know, there are veterinarians that think CVT means credentialed veterinary technician and not certified veterinary technician. So we had a lot of conversations about that. And then digging down and saying, okay, like, these are the problems we've always had with us. And we anecdotally think that we know what the problems are. And we anecdotally kind of assume and can conjecture that these are the things that affect like partnership in the clinical environment, but are they really like, do they really? And so what came out of the task force was an internal report that went to the ABMA that was 
gosh, probably about 30 pages uh, that basically explored what we perceived as the barriers to be. And some of that was organized certainly around compensation. Some of it was organized around like veterinarian understanding and education about the role and, you know, how we are trained and how we're educated and what we can do for you. Some of it uh, involved like mental health and wellness. Like I, we truly believe Uh, And I will always believe that like better collaboration is actually a wellness solution for everybody in the practice, right? Imagine for a moment, a world where like clinicians do clinician things and technicians do everything that they can conceivably do according to the law. And both sides are supported by assistants that also feel valued and are fully inhabiting their role. And it would be a very different profession, Right. So that report was the outcome of um, the task force. And then the group was somewhat reconstituted, like some people were retained and different people were added uh, into the working group. And so what the working group kind of went into was, okay, we have these hypotheses and these kind of assumptions, like, are there ways to evaluate them? like hard and fast, you know, can, can an instrument be devised that assesses utilization in the clinic? So is there a way that we can efficiently evaluate what tasks are being delegated? And so the, the majority of the work in the second phase was devoted to that instrument. And just trying to think like it start. you, you said it started in 2017, uh, like 2019? is it right? It was pre pre pandemic. Okay. I flew to Schaumburg. Like it wasn't weird. It wasn't weird okay. yet. <laughs> and, and so it's been, a, it's been a couple of years since that all took place. And, and has anything been done to implement the things that you found or recommended? Cause I think Jeff, we talked to, to Ed about, about this years ago. I think yeah, so, cause yeah. Ed was, Ed was there too. Yeah. And I, I just don't know if, if anything has been implemented yet that, that we can see change I, with. I think one thing that is subtle is that conversations are ongoing, right? It has mm, definitely yeah. become a huge piece of the conversation at multiple levels. You know, like I said, there were lectures at AVMA this year about it. Uh, I think there's some stuff at IVEX mm-hmm. about it. So, you know, there's been articles in DBM 360, lots and lots of conversations. I think some of that has driven people back to their state. And I think it has driven people back to local discussions. And we'll never really be able to, I think, investigate that, like what's happening on the practice level. Well, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to like, yeah, uh, yeah. quantify, yeah. right? To, to quantify what, what, what's in terms of the yeah. instrument. Right about the time it was getting refined, um, and I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I believe that NAVTA also had an instrument available. And I think right now the ABMA is trying to figure out, can they be consolidated? You know, are we going to go with one over the other? Uh, also in there mm-hmm. that people need to be aware of is that the the chief economist for the ABMA um, left and went into a different role with a different company. And so... Um, you know, we were kind of on one track with him and, you know, then the new person has to get situated and figure out their role and all of that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's really easy for people to be like, not enough is happening. Right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, there's readily explicable reasons why it seems like nothing is happening, but. Yeah. 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 I've been, as you've been talking, I've been kind of stewing on the collaboration versus utilization idea. And to me, I feel like, 
for so long we've been saying utilize us in terms of like letting us do our yeah. skills, but collaboration is use our brains as well. So use our skills and use our brains, it, it, but it really truly is. It's actually like almost two separate things that we want to join together. Yeah, like it's not exactly. just that I can do all of these things. I can also think through some of these things and be part of the And there are ways the in which we are or, trained that, I mean, I don't want to say that DVMs are underprepared, but you've been in the vet schools too, Jeff. And Dave, I don't know if you ever spent time at, at NC State. I but, haven't. You know, once you see how veterinarians are trained, there are some like tumblers in the lock that kind of fall into place, right? Because <laughs> they want student doctors doing student doctor things. And so, for example, like their anesthesia training in most cases is going to be insanely heavy on like pharmacokinetics and like pharmacologic, like on the cellular level. Whereas ours is much more like what do the drugs do? you know, delivery of said drugs, like controlling airway, you know, maintaining machine, determining settings and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, when I think about vet students and all of the didactic information that they have to assume in four years, coupled with hand-eye coordination and physical skills, coupled with like emotional intelligence and how to interact with a client and all this kind of stuff, I have so much sympathy for them. Uh because yeah. it's a lot. And then, you know, it, it's quite different from the kind of things that we learn and the way in which we're taught. And there's definitely overlap, right? Emotional intelligence, interacting with the client, interacting with team members, you know, hand-eye yeah. coordination yeah. and physical skills. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll be honest that until we started talking to you, I, when I heard tech utilization, I was thinking like blood draws, catheter placement, um, ICU treatments. I, I, I don't, I don't want to say I was ignoring the whole brain part of it and the, the critical thinking part of it. But when I think of utilization, I think of the skills as opposed to the whole picture, which that just blew my mind. <laughs> well, and, and you're following the vocabulary that you've been given, right? Utilization, like yeah, I have a yeah. thing in my hand, right? I have this phone or I have this water bottle and I'm going to use it for an intended purpose, right? I'm going to like put my matcha in there and I'm going to slake my thirst, right? Or I'm going to call someone on the phone. So you're just using the vocabulary you've been given. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, th I think a lot of that is just trying to figure out what the right term is and trying to figure out how to get to where we, you know, we, we've got yeah. a goal in, in, in sight and, you know, putting different terms on it, you know, terms change all the well, time. Well, and being sure that we're all working toward the same thing. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 you're right. Um, so unbelievably once again jeff we are about halfway through <laughs> know, this we're conversation through i love it and we still have so many more questions yes. to ask you so why don't we take our little quick break here and we'll pay some bills and we'll be back after the break the vet tech cafe is sponsored by better help caffeinators at the vet tech cafe you know we like to focus on mental health if you're struggling with depression burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really like that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. 
You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, everybody. Uh, we are not uh, Terry Gross's podcast, but apparently we will do just as well. <laughs> uh, Kelly, we, we like to talk about mental health a lot on this on this program, and we're curious, how do you manage your own mental health with all the tasks and committees and things that you're doing? How do you, how do you how stay sane? How much time do we have? <laughs> because that is also a long and, and twisted path. Um, you know, I will jokingly say that I am a very seasoned an experienced consumer of mental health services. Uh, I started having problems with anxiety and depression when I was in my teens and have been in and out of talk therapy most of my adult life. So that's thing number one, right? When you feel overwhelmed or when you don't feel at ease in your own head, safe in your own head, you need to seek the services of a qualified professional. Uh, That having been said, I have been on some variety of SSRI uh, antidepressant also since I was about 17 and I've updated drugs as better drugs have become available. But tip number two, you know, don't feel that hubris of like life is going well and I'm just going to cessate my meds randomly voluntarily. Uh, Um, Gotcha. You know, if you need meds, you, you know, add them. If you are down in the bottom of a hole and just can't seem to climb out, you know, it's, it's time to add them because it's not a weakness. It's not a crutch. It's literally like, it's your brain chemistry, right? So if, mm-hmm. if you were diabetic or a dog with Addison's, right, you would give the appropriate medication to resolve that imbalance. And so that is how I have always kind of looked at my medication. Uh, I don't even know if my brain makes serotonin anymore. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been on SSRIs for a long time and other things, you know, uh, certainly quality sleep, good diet, exercise. You got to have hobbies. You got to have friends. You know, you, you got to have that tribe um, that you can call mm-hmm. up and say, hey, like, I'm just not having a really good day today. And I need someone, you know, to tell me that I'm worthy and that I'm loved and that tomorrow will be better. Yeah. And, and you you brought up imposter syndrome earlier. And I, I think there's so many of us that that suffer with that. And I, I think that's something that I'm going to submit to IVEX for next year is, is imposter syndrome. Cause man, I to deal with it. I deal with it this constantly day. to this day when I am giving a lecture, I expect someone to stand up and start booing me like the trash lady and the princess bride. <laughs> uh, it just happened to be at AVMA. There were doctors in the audience and I was just waiting for it. I was waiting for someone to stand up at the end and be like, you're an idiot. You have no business talking about this. And it, it never happens somehow, but, yeah. Yeah. I, I do that too. Like one of my first fears of, of speaking at a conference was like, there's gotta be somebody in this room yeah. that's smarter than me. And that terrified me. And I forget who it was. Some, somebody at IVEX gave a lecture on giving a good talk and basically said, don't worry about them. Cause there's probably something, you know, that they don't. And if they challenge you say, I don't know the answer to that. Let me get back to you. And you can get also, back to Also, they didn't submit to lecture topics like you did. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> right. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So uh, 
let's talk about the CVTEA. Why is it important? What does it do? Um, tell us a little bit about it, about your experience with it. Uh, first of all, confirmed proponent slash fangirl. I love CVTA. Uh, my six years on the committee were just some of the most fun and the most like yeah. learning and just sponging it up that I have had in my career. So it is the committee. It is uh, semi-autonomous. So it is part of the AVMA, but semi-autonomous. And it's the committee composed of volunteers and supported by staff members of the AVMA that accredits veterinary technician programs in the United States uh, and that includes Puerto Rico. We have, there's kind of a sister sister organization in Canada. And so there's a rep, you know, on our committee from our friends to the north. And then we send a rep, a liaison to their committee. But um, basically what you do is you apply and you go through a selection process. There is an independent selection committee that is not composed of current members that reviews the applications. Um, it's a six-year volunteer term, which seems like a lot, but you have no idea what's going on until probably about your fourth year. So uh, <laughs> I, I used to be like, oh, if they would just make this three years, like they'd have so many more people apply. And then I got into it and I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. That's also, why. the accreditation mm -hmm. yeah. cycles are about five years for most programs. And so if you are the caretaker and know a whole lot about one program, it is nice you know, if, if you can hit that program twice or like impart that knowledge to the new caretaker. So historically, uh, the charge of CBTA was to devise and maintain accreditation standards and to accredit programs. And then also the A, which stands for activities. And so historically, everything veterinary technician activity related came to the committee. You may or may not be aware that uh, the ABMA has designated a new entity I'm super excited about to basically assume the activities charge that used to lie with CVTEA because there are so many programs now that accreditation is kind of a full-time job of the committee. And when you think mm, about yeah. our profession, there's so much activities related stuff. I mean, you know, you've got mid-level, you've got Washington apprenticeship program, you've got, you know, what's happening with master's degrees, you know, all of these things. Um, so I'm really happy that they're finally splitting it off. Uh, I think it's it's going to be really incredible. I, I believe that entity has members and they'll be meeting for the first time in the fall. So in terms of accreditation, uh, every program has what we call an institutional accreditor. And that might be like higher commission, learning commission, Southern colleges and schools, whatever it is. And then the actual veterinary technology program, which is within the college, undergoes voluntary accreditation through the CVTA. We have 11 accreditation standards that are kind of always under review and being updated. Um, they range from, you know, skills, safety, students, faculty, facilities, um, outcomes assessment, uh, finances. You know, we, we make sure that they can meet their needs financially, that they have emergency funding. So, when you do a site visit, uh, currently the model is that you have a veterinarian from the state in which the program resides, a technician, a public member that has no ties to vet med or necessarily the college. And then you have a CVTA member that is the chair. And then you have a full-time staff member that is also assigned that goes along and keeps you on the straight and narrow uh, and bails you out um, if you run into trouble. And 
get in some weird situation. Uh, probably the weirdest situation I was ever in is that the president of a college uh, shouted at us and slammed a door and walked out of a meeting um, <laughs> because we told them that their salaries weren't high enough for their instructors and veterinarian. So, <laughs> yeah, cra- that, huh? I mean, crazy mm. things happen all the time. People can't behave, but uh, the committee meets in person twice a year. And then we have a, a virtual meeting around April just to discuss the accreditation of new programs because um, they're a little bit different. It's they cannot meet all of the accreditation standards until they graduate a class. And so we just kind of talk about them separately. Gotcha. But yeah, we all get around the table. Uh, there's about 20 of us, you know, the seats represent various facets of the industry. So for example, we have like a a large animal veterinarian. We have someone from veterinary industry. We have a certain number of technicians that represent, you know, education or technicians at large. When I was on the committee, I was a technician at large lab animal, uh, state boards of veterinary medicine, you know, just small animal practitioner, all that kind of stuff. So we kind of go through everything that the program has submitted and all of the documentation from the site visit. And then as a group, we confer accreditation decisions. So it does not happen like on the ground. Like I think of the site team as like the CSIs, right? You're going to go in, you're going to look around, you're going to evaluate as best you can how the program is meeting the standards and you carry all that back to the main committee and, you know, make a decision. But it is such gotcha. a dynamic, vibrant group of people from all across the industry. It, it really taught me kind of how to do battle committee style, which you know, with manners and grace and Robert's rules of order, if you really want to advocate for something um, or really want to express a concern, like there's very specific ways that you do it. Um, Made some lifelong friends. It is a great way to feel like you are doing good work and advancing the profession and ensuring that, you know, the profession that we want is the one that we're building. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm curious, you know, in, in your time on the committee, because as you mentioned, over 200 of these programs now, are there any that like, you just get like a skeevy <laughs> predatorial vibe, like this isn't gonna work there? I, I will say not to cut you off, but a few things. I will say that sometimes I think colleges or um you know, some of the for-profits, for example, may not really understand the expense of running a vet tech program, right? Uh, They're kind of glamorous, right? Who doesn't want like cute animals on campus potentially, or, you know, glossy um, recruiting materials? Who doesn't want butts in seats, right? Uh, From a standpoint of keeping a larger institution running. So I, I do think sometimes there's confusion from administrations about like, Oh, (laughs) you know, we're graduating eight to 10 students a year and it's costing X. And so sometimes there is pressure to, you know, enroll more, keep them there longer, you know, some of those kinds of things. But I, I do think that the standards of accreditation coupled with, you know, the site visit model, we do have like a complaint policy where students or employees can raise concerns and they get investigated. Um, There's an appeal process for accreditation decisions that may be considered adverse. All of that together means that we are pretty aware of programs that are potentially what we would call bad actors. And, you know, we, we do have ways to bring them into compliance, including adverse accreditation decisions. Gotcha. We do, you know, we can put programs on probation, for example, which is not considered adverse. We, 
we can potentially withdraw accreditation, even though we've never had to do that. Yeah, that was that was my follow up question. I was like, what what happens when they don't pass? Like, what do you do? Like, let's say you're you're a for profit school and you've got your accreditation, and I don't know, you're lacking yeah, something that yeah, pulls it's kind you out of, of accreditation. Right? You get new administration, nobody gets yeah. it, nobody yeah. is paying attention. Right, right hand, left hand. Um, generally, what will happen is you will go on probation. And again, that's voted on based on the site visit. Uh, you know, we have different statuses of deficiencies. So there are criticals and majors. Uh, and then we can make recommendations that don't affect um, accreditation decision making. So it, it's entirely possible for a program to have like 11 criticals and still be accredited because it's very much, you know, assuming good intent. And I will tell you that sometimes folks, when they're transitioning into veterinary technology education, um, it can be very overwhelming for them, especially the accreditation piece of it. So we, we really try to be present like with AVTE, the Association of Veterinary Technician Educators, um, and staff try to be really high touch so that everybody understands what's needed from them so they can hopefully meet expectations. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So kind of shifting from our education and uh, something that I really want to talk to you about, because <laughs> I know offline we've shared uh, some <laughs> some stories, I guess you could say, of, of our time in, in academia. But I, I didn't know you had spent time as your first job at University of Georgia as well. So you've worked at three uh, veterinary academic institutions. Um, I, I'm just you know, I've tried to say many times on this show, like some of the struggles that I've seen, and I'm curious just to hear your viewpoint on like, not so much how the school does things or how they train students necessarily, but like what it looks like for us working there and some of the struggles that we face. And because I went in thinking this was the pinnacle of the oh, profession. the best and this the highest, going right? To be it's the, the best tower. of the best. I mean, the the <laughs> the glasses I was wearing were for sure rose colored, and it didn't take long for those to come off. And uh, so I'm just curious, you know, through some of your ex experiences as well, like your viewpoints on it. Yeah, and you know, I I have been a fierce loyalist uh, of academic medicine for a long time, and and I still am. I think. What I have seen in my time in the vet schools, understanding that like that first pass was almost 20 years ago. How did that happen <laughs> to me? Um, you know, like they're in a completely different hospital now. You know, a lot of those, mm -hmm. the people have changed over. Um, I think a few things. I would like to see accreditation standards for DVM programs that are related to staffing with credential technicians, you mm -hmm. know. And, and they'll have to work that out for themselves one day. But, you know, could it be a minimum percentage? So on and so forth. Yeah. You know, can we look at the number of credential people that you employ and say, okay, like you could do better. This might impact your accreditation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that we can be leveraged quite differently. And some of this, the very nature of veterinary education, as you know, is there are 12 people that need things signed off. Right. And you have a very talented, experienced technician. And so there is always a lot of jostling around, right? The resident needs skills experience. The intern needs skills experience. The veterinary student needs skills experience. If there's veterinary technician student externing, they need skills experience. The new hire, right, who has come from GP and is fairly green, needs skills experience. So 
I would really love to see technicians being leveraged more in terms of like, you know, can, can we lead topic rounds? Can we lead cage side rounds? Can, you know, VTS technicians be employed as, you know, clinical lecturers, um, clinical skills training, all of these kinds of things, right? Junior surgery, like, can we take a greater lead and maximize everyone's time and exposure? I think for me, it it still is a lot of the best and the highest, right? Like, I absolutely never would have been exposed to... Mm you know, mechanical ventilation or dialysis or half the transfusion medicine or high flow nasal oxygen, um, wound vac, you know, I absolutely would never have seen some of these incredibly high, like morbidity cases. Like I would not believe that they could recover Mm -hmm. if I hadn't been there, but, um, there were also times when certainly I was frustrated. Uh, I think you're dealing with young doctors who, are working on like who they want to be and how they want to interact with people. They have their own imposter syndrome. Um, So I I would just like to see us built into curriculums more in the sense that, okay, we, we have these assets. How can we offload what's legal for them to lead with? You know, can we educate our veterinary students on practice act and the various roles Mm -hmm. and how to collaborate best with those, with those various roles. I think, you know, their heads are just getting jammed with stuff and it almost seems like too much to say, okay, we're going to have like a half day seminar and we're going to talk about your practice act and we're going to talk about title protection. And, but I I do see it as a need. Yeah. Agreed. And I think we need to stop calling everybody a technician. (laughs) Well, there's that. Yeah. Well, and also you're, you're thinking about like, you know, just thinking here at North Carolina, you got NC state, you know, you could have that seminar for North Carolina, but this is a pretty big school with a, a wide, diverse. Yeah, they're going places. Uh, students from different. Yeah. yeah, they're going places. So, like, what they teach them in the North Carolina uh, seminar about your practice act may be completely irrelevant when you go to Oregon right. or Wyoming or something. I mean, or I would I would gently push back and say that hopefully it's going to be if most we teach it thing, well, right? we understand right that there is a professional <laughs> that may be called a this or that uh, right now right. in this country yeah. that can potentially do these things for you. At the end of the day, the clinician is responsible, right, for reading and understanding their practice act before Mm -hmm. they delegate any task to anybody. And so a lot of that rests with them. But I think you guys both know, we still see people that are so intelligent, but they just really have no idea, right? Like how you're trained, Mm -hmm. what you're capable of doing. Like, have you ever had someone turn around and say, oh, I didn't know you could do that? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. And so, you know, like, how do we fix that piece of it? I think, Jeff, in answer to your original question, like going back to veterinary and education, like that to me is like the bottom piece of the Jenga that, that maybe we don't put in because there's so much other stuff that has to go in. And then we expect them to learn like when they're out and, you know, they're just trying to survive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, it's it's just like you said, it's it's hard because they're tra- cramming so much information into their brains, and you know, four years is is a long time, but it's also a short time to get all that information in there. And I, I think going back to the 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 Practice Act seminar thing, giving them the 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 idea that it exists mm-hmm. that's just it. Yeah, I, like I think is important. It's another thing. Like this information is out there. Here's where you find it. Like you're going exactly, somewhere. Yeah. You might How be going somewhere resource? else, but. 
there will be other relevant information to you when you get there, like that you still need to know about this. Well, thing. and I'm not saying that and, we need like yeah. manners class, but I do think right <laughs> sometimes, um, you know, care and keeping of your veterinary technician wouldn't be misplaced. You know, don't say who's the yeah. doctor yeah. here anyway. Mm-hmm. Say, I understand yeah. that you have concerns, but here's the backstory. You know, the client's limiting me to X, Y, Z, and this is why we're doing right. PQR. Right. 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 But I think that I think that's also like I don't want to be speaking out of turn because you two have been in acad- academia and I have not. But I, I would imagine that that's different based on the school, like certain schools may be better about teaching that than others. Like I, I think about Purdue that has a vet school and also a yeah. technician program that may be more more widely known on, on how to how to deal with technicians and how to actually utilize them than places that don't have. Well, and if we're really. If we're really doing like the end times wish lists for Kelly Foltz, um, you know, I would have a end technician time. program in every accredited DBM program. Yeah. So yeah. that you're learning at the yeah. same time and you're learning what's appropriate mm-hmm. for your role side by side at the same time. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And you're 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 actually doing these labs together as as yep. vet student and vet tech student and learning how to yeah, yeah how to function right at, mm-hmm. at a crucial time when everyone yeah. is like spongy right. and eager mm-hmm. and not you know a salty and old trying sailor. to figure out what they're supposed to do <laughs> right <laughs> uh okay so um right now you are the regional nursing partner with blue pearl i, I am one of five yes one, one of five. five. Okay. So what is that what does that role entail? What what are your responsibilities? Uh, it is the most fun. I feel like it's my dream job. The only missing piece is like clinical work. Um, but to be honest, mm-hmm. after kind of twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two, and like Jeff is probably aware of this, I really needed a break uh, from clinical work. I was starting to be very concerned about um consent. Like none of our patients can consent to a lot of the really invasive stuff we're doing to them. Um, in the academic setting, uh, struggling with medical futility and just general burnout. And so um, that's pretty much the only thing I would change about this job. So basically, there are five of us, uh, one for each region in the company. So Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Southeast, Central, and West. And each one of us basically functions as, you could probably say, like, some sort of chief nursing officer or, or mid-level nursing officer. Basically we report to the regional vice presidents of medicine, which are kind of in charge of everything from a medical quality and DVM standpoint in the regions. And we are kind of the highest ranking nursing position or technician position in the region. So everything technician related in my region kind of comes to me in some way or another. And it's multivariate. So uh, within Blue Pearl, we have a fairly robust internal job family leveling system where our folks can get skills completed and then actually take a didactic exam that's based on the format of the VTE. And if they get all their skills and pass that exam with 70% or higher, they can ascend to the next job family. And historically, we've done that in a biannual cycle. So they've had the option twice a year, but we generally try to restrict it to once a year because it really takes about 12 to 18 months to get that next level skill set. So we manage that program in terms of um, vetting the applications and updating the content. Uh, We have a role in 
patient safety event reporting. So we are a touch point for the internal patient safety and hospital operations committees in each location. I have about 20 hospitals in my region. It's about eight states. Uh, my buddy Amanda in Central has 33 hospitals. So it, it varies wow. widely. Um, we have what's called a dotted line relationship to our trainers in the region. So Blue Pearl has both hospital, so single site, full-time trainers, and what we call a market position. So if you have more than one hospital, so for example, Raleigh, Durham, Cary, there's three hospitals in a small area. So we have one trainer that supports all three of those locations. So yeah, we, they don't report directly to us. I actually don't have any direct reports, which is incredible because I hate that part of leadership, right? Like I don't have to do payroll and I don't have to prep performance evaluations. Like I certainly have input, but in terms of delivering them, um, it's just not a thing with this role. So we've got the trainers, we've got the leveling system, we've got patient safety event reporting. We have medical quality. So partnering with our medical quality division to determine like how nursing can support and advance various medical quality initiatives. We usually do about two a year. So historically, uh, barrow trauma prevention, crash cart readiness, checklist initiative. Uh, this year we are working on getting the company toward hands-free radiology by 2025. And we are also working on recover training, like 75% compliance with BLS in the company. And then we'll see what next year brings. But, uh, other stuff that I do, I go on site visits. So basically I work remotely unless I'm in one of our hospitals and then I'm on the ground, just helping them with, you know, getting those medical quality initiatives rolled out issues of efficiency, right? Like if someone says, Hey, like we have eight people scheduled to support two doctors in the ER and yet nothing ever seems to get done. You know, like I kind of get involved in that and, and see where I can help them. Um, certainly rolling out, you know, changes, advancements, like, you know, getting high flow into hospitals, for example. Um, I think some of the transfusion medicine stuff, right? Like hemonates are going away and there are different filters available. So being a subject matter expert on those kinds of things, certainly supporting sustainability initiatives in terms of like antimicrobial stewardship and responsible pharmaceutical usage, um, Ultimately, you know, there's going to be some conversations had about like anesthetic gas and environmental footprint, um, recycling, some of those kinds of things. So it it's kind of a grab bag. But the, the nearest thing I could say is that it takes into account all of that clinical experience and all of that life experience and all of the networking and connections and kind of puts it in one role where I can be like the fiercest advocate for my people in the region as possible. And, Mm. you know, I'm in regional leadership team meetings. I'm in medical director meetings. um, I'm in meetings with the other RMPs. And so if, if someone is, is confused about something or needs some enlightenment on what we're capable of, the best way to, to leverage us, um, you know, if someone needs insight on, on how to interact with their folks or, how to really, really get them like happy and fulfilled. I mean, that's my ultimate goal is that we have sustainable long-term careers. And that was, that's been the same, whether it was at the vet school or corporate, right? Like I, I think I was exposed so much early in my career to, and this wasn't at the university, right? But, you know, bad medicine, 
like frighteningly bad medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I'm talking about, which hazel is a disinfectant, and, you know, isolation <laughs> rooms with carpet and masking down dogs. Yeah. With you know, desks in the radiology suite, <laughs> like all of that kind of stuff. And yeah. at the same time, got so much of like, when are you going to vet school? Oh, that must be nice to cuddle puppies and kittens all day. Paired with like, who's the doctor around here anyway? uppity technician, you know, that kind of stuff that a long, long time ago, I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to do the most to make this profession like as rewarding and legitimate as it can possibly be. And if that means, you know, that, that I have to get a VTS, if that means lecturing, like, I don't ever want anyone to be spoken to like they're an idiot and I never want anyone to feel the moral distress of, of being part and privy to bad medicine. And so, mm. you know, when I was in the vet schools, I was like, this is how you change the profession. You change it like one vet student and one case at a time, right? One house officer at a time. You show them what you're capable of and you make sure they understand what a credential technician is so that when they leave this place, they will ask for credential technicians by name and still doing the same thing, just different mm. setting. I have a question about your site visits. Do you find that when you show up that the technician technical staff kind of like perks up and says, Oh, there's somebody important here. I need to, I need to be on my toes. Or is it, is it more of a, is it a fear thing? Or is I it a love try thing? to be chill. And just to be clear, I, we have hospitals that I haven't been in yet, but mm-hmm. I, I try to be chill when I go, like I, I don't wear heels and I don't wear a skirt. You know what I mean? Like I wear stretchy pants and a comfortable shirt um, and sneakers. Mm -hmm. I like to work on the floor, but I also don't want to be in anybody's way, you know, and I also sometimes don't know where things are. And so sometimes it's a little awkward for me because I'm like, Oh, I just want to jump in and try to be respectful. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. This is someone else's workspace. So I think it's about 50, 50 and it's not really fear. It's just like, who is this in my space and why is she so excited to be here? Uh, I think is basically what happens. (laughs) I try to, I also try to grease the wheels. Like I'll bring stickers or, you know, and and I'll just ask people like, how are you doing? Like, tell me about this case. Like, how are you feeling about your career? Like what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, part, pardon my naivete, but I'm, is blue pearl just like specialty? Yes. Specialty and emergency. I, I, I was kind of surprised by, the low number of hospitals for the number of states you represent. But I guess that, so that, but that is all of their specialty hospitals. It's not only like some of them that say like buy into this program right, or whatever. Correct. Like if they're in yeah. your so region. So we support whatever we have in each region. Gotcha. Yeah. And okay. I think there's I just like 116, 117 hospitals nationwide. So it is not a huge oh, wow. business. Yeah. I guess I, I just, I guess I just thought it was, I don't know, tens of thousands. <laughs> well, I, you know, there's I don't a know lot, what I had in my mind. You're, but... <laughs> you're not wrong, right? Because it's part of Mars Veterinary Health and there's sure, UCA and Banfield, sure. which have much, I feel like, larger footprints in terms of like locations. But uh, we are the smallest and we are specialty. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, is there anything? We're even beyond our hour. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. Um, is there anything that we didn't discuss today that there's you want to bring up? There's a million things. <laughs> oh well we'll just well, let's, let's do it. Yeah. We gotta we gotta talk we'll about like cat friendly and we gotta you know, like we gotta talk about all the amazing things that are happening with, with technicians right now, like consulting and starting their own businesses. Like Dave is sitting right here. 
he's one of the pioneers. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I mean, I could sit here all day, I could sit here all day. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just means we have to do another episode. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's do we'll just do a free we'll form episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is there anybody that you can think of or a topic you can think of that you would want to put in your seat that you think would be a good guest on the show or um, something you would like to hear us talk about? Hmm. Uh, I think if you want to talk about career pathways, I, you should probably talk to Nicole Dickerson. Do you know Nicole? Like mm-hmm. she, yeah. We've yeah, okay, she's excellent. Been on. Yeah, she, uh, we're presenting together at IVEX, and she is such an amazing human being. Um, yeah, she have is. you had she Paula really Plummer is. on to talk about cats? We have you not. You need to have Paula nope. Plummer on to talk about cats. All right, all right, all right. Let's um, do it. I recently met Amanda Shelby when she joined CBTEA. Oh. Um, okay. You might want. She's anesthesia, but I think she's the brains mm-hmm. behind Think yeah. Anesthesia, which like that might yes. be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Like starting a business of that nature and selling it to a corporation as a technician. If you want to talk about imposter syndrome and learning as you go, that's, like I think that's an amazing. I, idea. I saw her speak at AVMA last year, and I told Jeff we should have her on the show. And yeah, then she is smart as a whip. Got distracted yeah. by something yeah. and never yeah. contacted her. Yeah. So yeah. we need to add her to the list and for sure. I, yeah, you she'll be on the list. Some technician educators on. I know you've probably had some, but yeah, we've had a couple. Yeah. 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 We, we try education is like a recurring thing for us. And we try to look at it from a number of different facets because there's so much to it. Um, but there's always more to talk about for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, Kelly, it is now time for your, would you rather question? Are you ready for it? (laughs) This is about Bruce Springsteen. So it's, it's not. Okay. Um, I have, I have okay. three questions. You have to pick one, two, or three. Oh, I don't know what they are. I just have to pick mm-hmm. one. Uh, we'll go with the middle two. Number two. Jeff thinks this one is was aimed at him. It, it really wasn't. Um, would you rather have two blocked nostrils for the rest of your life or a constant migraine that lasts the whole year? I think I would rather have two blocked nostrils for the rest of my life. Wow. For the rest of your life? Yeah. I, I have friends I don't with know that migraines I do that. and I have sinus migraines. I don't know if it's a true migraine, but you know, I get nauseous and have to lay down in a dark room and I would rather mouth breathe. I think I do. I do that when I don't have coffee. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like my nostrils have been plugged since I was six. I don't know the last time I breathed <laughs> through my nose. But so like, we can't tell, <laughs> you know, like I, it's not like when someone says jet back I'm like, Oh, that mouth breather. <laughs> <laughs> I have to know what one and three either. were now. Can I know what one? Well, we'll do... no, because we're okay. using the next one. Okay. We'll tell you off. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell you, yeah, we'll tell you off there. But I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm actually really mad at myself that I didn't think to come up with a Bruce Springsteen question. I was terrified you were going to ask me, like, if I could only listen to one Springsteen song for the rest of my life, like, what would it be? Well, what is it? I, there's a different one for every mood. Much like the works of William Shakespeare, oh. the entirety of the human experience is contained within the corpus of work produced by Bruce Springsteen. So, oh my goodness, that is my answer. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> to, how many how many how many times have you seen just him four. live? I wish it was like three hundred. Oh, okay. um, I okay. I actually I've, I've only seen him no, twice, I'm just but super it's still late. like today. Like, it's funny. I'm on a bunch of fan pages, and yeah, people you know saw him for like two dollars at a college in rural Virginia in 1973, and I'm like, wasn't even born yet. It's super lame. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a friend from high school that is a, a huge fan. That she posts stuff on Facebook all the time about Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
anyway, uh, we'll have, we have to do this again. Um, cause that was yeah, definitely. An amazing discussion and conversation and gave me a lot to think about for sure. I'm, I'm going to perseverate on the collaboration <laughs> utilization find, find idea. Better, like, yeah. Right. No, I, 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 lo- I, I love because it, it's, it actually like, I think we all have just thought like using utilizing our skills and that's why it's become utilization, but there's also a huge missing piece and that we want to be in on those rounds. We want to be in on those medical discussions and we should be, and that is more collaboration. So it, 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 um, I feel like so many of us think about that, but we've never actually thought about it. So it's actually really, really fascinating. So um, anyway, beyond that though, thank you so much for the time and, we look forward to seeing you in, gosh, like, I don't know, five or six weeks, yeah, whatever not it is. Near, yeah, not long at all. Yeah. I just finalized my travel not today. Nice. So nice. nice. Can't wait to see yes. you guys. Give me yeah. big hugs. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, caffeinators. <laughs> <laughs> caffeinators, thanks again for shooting into another episode of uh, the Vet Tech Cafe. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll see you guys soon and uh, be well. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators! We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.